Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, back from my holidays and here in the studio. And I'm joined today by Bradley Gerald, news editor. How are you doing, Bradley? Very good, thank you, John. Good. How is everything in my week away? It was good. It was under control. We had uh, Mark Robinson ably stepping into your shoes last week. Oh, good. Well, doing his best anyway. Yeah, I haven't had to listen to it yet. I was avoiding uh, all work-related matters whilst on holiday. That's fair. James Norrington. How are you, James? Very well, thank you. Good. And you've written the cover feature this week, uh, Foolproof Your Portfolio, which is about populism. Yes, that's right. Very big subject at the moment. We'll talk about that very shortly. And over in the control room, uh, Ian Smith, company's editor. How are you doing, Ian? Not too bad, John. How are you? Not too bad. Refreshed. Good. Kind of. (laughs) I was hoping to come back to kind of a, a much quietened results scene, and that's not been the case at all. Not quite, yeah. It's the end of August, beginning that. of September, like mini, mini bulge. What is it, a dozen pages this week and another another 13 next. So I, th- I thought it was over. I really thought it was over. Yeah, I think and, you uh, called that a little bit too soon. Yeah, I, I did, didn't I? I think we have passed the high watermark now. I was demob happy before I went on holiday. <laughs> there you go. Okay, let's start then with the news this week. Bradley? Yeah, I guess I'm um, just start off in seven days with a couple of uh, macro things. Um, inflation expectations have um, reached a two-year high, and uh, the metric through which, which this is being expressed is something called break-even inflation, which is basically the difference between the yield of a bond versus its inflation-linked equivalent. And it's a, a fairly sort of um, well-regarded pointer of where inflation might head to. What is it, from sweet FA to bugger all? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, the, 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 the gap now, so the break-even inflation rate is um, 2.7 percentage points, which is the highest level since 2014. Mm. And, I mean, as you've suggested, you know, inflation has been pretty meagre in recent years, and a little bit more inflation is good. And obviously, it's been caused predominantly by the weakness in sterling. Um, so this is a UK survey? Okay. Yeah, this is a UK right. uh, yeah, factor. And I guess, yeah, we need some inflation in the economy. It is positive, and especially as we've had the national living wage and there has been some inflation in wages. So as long as the, as long as the level of inflation doesn't completely outstrip the level of wage um, growth inflation, then generally that should be quite healthy. But obviously we need to wait and see if that happens. Yeah. Who knows, eh? Who knows? Okay. Nobody. What else have we got? Um, another slightly interesting one. That initially, it might seem a bit sort of strange to mention this, but um, Nigeria has officially entered recession. And the reason I sort of put this in seven days is because the country is quite heavily relied upon by some of the big consumer staple names, um, notably some that I cover, PZ Cousins, um, especially uh, Diageo, the, the distiller. So the fact that Nigeria is having such a troubling time, largely because of its obviously very sort of um, high reliance on the oil market and obviously seeing pricing pressures there. Um, it's potentially, although it might seem like a country that's far away and not much to do with UK PLC, there are some big, well-followed, popular companies which um, you know are potentially impacted um, by this uh, economic data out of the African country. Because it causes more than the edge you'd, you'd yeah. expect, given that it it take, makes up a much greater proportion. Absolutely. Of I mean, Diageo's is, is smaller, definitely. I, it was merely used as an example of well, a large do, company. But like Pisa Cousins is, is, is sizable. It's almost, I think, for memory, it's about a quarter of revenue. Yeah, yeah, no, it's huge. I remember I used to cover this stock, and uh, I, I think I, I suggested selling it at one point on the basis of problems in Nigeria. And I think mm. at the time it was, I can't remember exactly what the problem was, but it is a difficult country to do business in. There it is. is. has no shortage of... Political troubles, economic troubles. Exactly. There, there's the sort of um, holy grail, so to speak, of this great young population that's going to be consuming ever more and that sort of thing. And that's the the the, the bull the bull sort of of Nigeria would say that. But as you say, there's often political trouble in the country. 
it's very heavy reliance on the oil market is you know in good times fantastic and in times like now it's it means that it doesn't have any many other pillars of its economy to rely on so you know yeah it's a problem it's it's a, one of those sort of small tail risks potentially to just a couple of holdings in people's portfolios but mm. i thought it was fairly noteworthy nonetheless indeed indeed i mean pizza customs if any company is capable of coping with this kind of thing this this difficult market conditions in a, in a particular african region it's been their customs it's been there for a hundred odd years yeah it's been there for a very long time so it's probably seen all this before and it's probably not overly concerned but it is still something it has to deal with so yes absolutely um i noticed there was a, a FTSE 100 reshuffle while i was away yeah, I think it's actually about to happen imminently. But oh, it's about of, to happen. But okay. they kind of calculate it prior to. You see, yes, the calculation's been sort of carried out and the movements will occur. Um, and yeah, Berkeley Group, um, which is London-focused house builder, is going to go into the FTSE 250 and be replaced by Polymetal. And I guess that's kind of an interesting switch, really. So you've got a house builder, which arguably is... Um, you know, a very or for years now, that sector has been incredibly popular with investors. And then being substituted by... Well, just just this year alone, gold has had a fantastic run, and obviously something like polymetal has done fantastically well off the back of uh, gold's significant price rise just year to date. Yeah, I think we covered the results this week, didn't we? Yes, they did, John. In fact, we actually upgraded them to a speculative buy. Yeah, one of Alex is that, isn't it? So, yeah. uh, right. What else we got? Well, I guess I mean maybe turn into like the main news section. I mean, Apple is obviously kind of the the story of the week, and their um, potential um, thirteen billion euro tax bill that they're going to have to pay um if the european commission gets its way so it's sort of uh, the european commission has suggested that there's some sort of obviously cozy deal between apple and ireland which has led apple to be able to pay what would ever have made them think that well perhaps the very very low five percent tax rate yeah yeah but that was an inkling um so yeah there's it's just such an interesting issue though because obviously there are a lot of this issue has been revolving for a little while now the the focus on multinational companies where they're parking their profits in a, in order to pay lower levels of tax um some big companies have you know have conceded some ground and i think it was the back end of last year or the start of this one where we saw people like starbucks in the uk saying they would pay a bit more tax because the government has kicked up a bit of a fuss very generous of them i know yeah i know i just think it's, it's such a huge huge issue and obviously what's interesting about all of apple's responses while being very angry they have not said that what the european commission has calculated is incorrect so it would suggest that the levels the very very meager levels of tax apple has paid is correct and so really people who say oh the european commission is going too far and obviously in this country would have sort of Brexit people, if we hadn't had the vote yet, saying this is a classic example of the of Europe sort of treading on ground it's not meant to tread on. Well, not really, because it's about competition. This is not really about tax. I mean, if all of the companies in Ireland were being charged 0.005% tax, then the European Commission wouldn't have a leg to stand on. There'd be nothing to investigate, but that's clearly not the case. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one. I mean, it is a funny one. Um, I mean, you would have thought that the Irish government would be looking at this going, excellent, 13 billion euro windfall, but they're not. Well, what's been interesting is as as this is sort of stories unfolded, the initial response was, yeah, this is ridiculous. We're going to appeal this along with Apple. It's a silly ruling, blah, blah, blah. But actually, um, Ender Kenny, the tyre set, if that's how you say it, of Ireland. Um, I'm not even going to try. I've never got my No, nor have I. It's I think. Okay. Well done, James. <laughs> there you go. So the T-Sitch of Ireland, Ender Kenny, um, was hoping to sort of have a meeting with his cabinet and decide very quickly that you know everyone was on message. But actually, some of the ministers over in Ireland aren't on message and they want to have a proper look at this and decide whether actually Ireland shouldn't appeal this because 
to get 13 billion euros in tax revenue could be relatively helpful to an economy. Yeah, because this is a country that needs to invest quite significantly in its health service and yeah. its infrastructure. Um, so, yeah. But the uh, I guess the flip side to that argument is Apple creates a lot of jobs in Ireland. The tech industry uh, in general, in fact, other industries too, benefit from Ireland's very generous corporate tax regime and that creates a lot of jobs in this country. That, th- that country, not uh, this country. Of course. But the, 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 tax, the tax rate already is very generous compared to other countries, even if it's levied at the actual rate, which is 12.5%. Um, and there are sort of other clever ways that it can be reduced even lower without infringing yeah. Move on Move to Luxembourg? Rules. Well, there's that. But within Ireland, I mean, so... Um, Milestone, a tax consultancy, put out a comment uh, yesterday, and they said they think that Ireland will actually have the last laugh because they've developed this thing called the Knowledge Development Box, which will leave knowledge-based multinationals such as Apple uh, paying just 6.25% tax in Ireland on much of their profit earned throughout the EU. So that was comply with EU state aid rules and OECD anti-avoidance rules and potentially lead them to get a 13 billion euro windfall in tax. So... Uh, that's one potential outcome, but um, it's just an incredibly interesting debate whether it will um, mean more um, sort of back payments being demanded from Apple and other companies is you know open to question. Um, whether other European countries could benefit from this if the European Commission says right, you sold X euros worth of iPhones in this country, so that equals Y amount of tax. Pay that to whichever yeah. country. So I mean, I'm a simple man. You know, and I think if you earn some revenues in a country and, and those revenues create some profits in a in a country, then you pay the tax due in that country on those profits that you make. That should really be the way. And I, I guess mean, that, it's, that's, it's quite simple, really. It is, but that's the problem, I suppose, of the single market, is that you've created a sort of a single market within which one can choose to domicile themselves in. Mm, and I guess this is why the EU is kind of looking to stamp out this kind of behaviour. So. I think so. And I think it's actually quite a brave stance from the European Commission, really. I think actually, on a, at least on a moral level, regardless of the technicalities or the, or the legalities, it's an interesting and good, socially positive decision, I would argue. It is. And, and, and I guess the point of, of our uh, article is that this may actually we should worry that it might affect other companies who are engaged in similar practices. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Although I must admit, when I look through the UK PLC, yeah, you don't see many companies paying virtually no tax at all. No, I think it is more of a US company problem, like US company operating in Europe. And that's partly because the um, tax rate on US companies repatriating profits mm. from overseas into the US is so high. So therefore, it's what, what, it's, what it leaves US companies to do is find a home effectively for those profits. And obviously, they want that home to have a low tax rate. Yeah. And we know that other companies have been targeted by uh, tax authorities recently so i know google vodafone in uh, i think that was in india they had mm. uh, had some big tax problems at starbucks yep. and they've got a very strange convoluted structure involving the trading of coffee beans which i don't fully understand yeah um, it's something ridiculous like they you know, make a make a loss on coffee in the uk or something or some country it, it was it was as you say frankly ridiculous indeed indeed um and I, i'm pretty sure as i kind of jokingly alluded to earlier a lot of those Schemes are, are essentially based in Luxembourg. And the great irony in, in all of this, of course, is many of those schemes were put in place when it was uh, under the presidency of who? Jean-Claude Juncker. Who is who? The head of the European Commission. Indeed. So, um, need we say any more on this subject? No. <laughs> Start another Brexit debate. <laughs> right. Let's see what else we've got in the new section. Uh, ITV Entertainment One is always quite an interesting story. Entertainment One being the uh, owner of Peppa Pig. 
and other assets, but Peppa Pig being the one that everyone wants. Yeah, the, that that tune now just haunts me because my I've forgotten it. it yeah, was, it was long enough ago. I, I have to say, it's become mightily useful in distracting uh, a certain active nineteen-month-old. But Absolutely. yeah, that 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 tune is just in my head. Anyway, though, <laughs> yes, Entertainment One. Um, the shares rallied really strongly when ITV suggested it was interested. But it seems what's happened is that the board and the management of Entertainment One have in their minds a figure that they think the company's worth. And ITV clearly doesn't want to pay that figure, so um, ITV's walked away. Entertainment One's shares slid uh, slid 16% in the past year, and we're still remaining positive on them. We still think, actually, Entertainment One on its own is a good company. And I guess there's a potential for ITV to maybe reappraise its view of the value of Entertainment One, or even for another bidder to, to come in and snap the company up. So that's not the sole reason. It's not like a complete um, M&A speculative buy, but um, it's part of the reason why we're positive. It's an interesting asset. Having said that, we've often thought that ITV itself might be uh, the target of, uh, of an acquisition yeah. at some point. I'm pretty sure there was some, uh, some chatter around that quite recently, actually. Yeah, again, I think you're right, but again, it's just um, uh, these things come around every now and again, and you know, some materialise and some are just just conjecture. Indeed, they say buy on the rumour. Exactly, buy on the rumour. Uh, okay, should we have a little chat about results before we move on to the subjects of populism? Um, let's uh, let's start with you, Bradley, and talk uh, quickly about the uh, gamblers this week because there's been a little flurry from the world of betting. There has indeed. I, I guess one to start off on is Sportec, which we've got on a hold, but it's quite interesting because Sportec has been fighting um, for the best part of a decade now, um, a battle with HM Revenue and Customs over a VAT claim, which is worth £97 million. And when your market yes. cap is now £144 million, that's that's quite a chunk of change. Pretty substantial. So... It's in the dying moments of this long-fought match. And then at the, at the moment, Sportec has been told that it's in the right, it will get its money back. But the taxman, as ever, has got its jaws um, firmly clasped and won't let go too easily. So they are appealing again, even though the highest court in the land has said, no, Sportec is right. So that's an interesting thing. Obviously, it's, it's not unusual in this, uh, in this no. industry. I remember when I was covering bookies a while back, Rank had a similar uh, ongoing saga with uh, with HMRC around VAT. They got, okay. it, they got it back in the end. Yeah, it's looking... But there, but there were lots of toing and froing and appeals and yeah. money going this way, money going that way. It looks like Sportec will win and also we'll find out for sure in the autumn, I believe, is when uh, we find out if HMRC can appeal. And yeah, so it's an interesting one. They've also got a football pools betting business which they're kind of mulling about selling, but they've actually invested quite a lot in... Uh, invest a lot of time and a bit of money in sort of getting it back it back up to scratch. Do people still play the pools? Apparently so. Yeah. Wow. But um, yeah, speaking to the company, they said you know it's it's something they're considering selling that division. They're not absolutely certain they will, but they have had interest, although none of that interest has as yet reached their expectations of what it's worth. Yeah, what I was quite interested about with this little this result. I mean, it's not a huge company, as you say, no. uh, but I was quite interested in its international expansion, yeah. which seems to be a recurrent theme now in, in the gambling sector. Yeah, it is. I mean, you're seeing from from the big ones like Ladbrokes and William Hill, you know, targeting places like Australia. If they're sort of smaller companies or more online, like 888, they tend to be um, sort of going for a lot more of the individual European markets, which are becoming more more regulated. Which... But, the, but the US here. And the US, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. was obviously out of bounds for a long, long time. It's, it was. Uh, it was quite interesting. Again, when I was covering this, there was lots of speculation about when, when the US market would open up for gamblers. And uh, and actually, someone like 888 was seen to be quite well positioned to go into that market and do quite well. And uh, Yeah. There you go. 
There you go. And on the subject of 888, they obviously tr- made an attempt alongside Rank Group to snap up William Hill. That that deal has not gone ahead now. Um, but 888, um, the results were, were pretty good, really. And I guess there's there's a fair bit of... There's a lot for the company to do organically and speaking to them on the phone. There's certainly, in their words, they don't feel any pressure to do a deal. They thought William Hill was would have been a good fit and would have led to a good... Um, diversified and strong company. Obviously, William Hill didn't have the same view. But um, yeah, there's a lot of positives in um, 888's results. It's worth a, worth a read, that piece. Um, and yeah, I think as a standalone company, it, it's it's still got you know got value there. We have it on a buy. Um, and it's got $143 million of net cash. So mm. it's always a good sign as well. And this is all kind of going on in the shadow of Paddy Power Betfair. In terms of you, you were talking about the consolidation and that gambling company now being three times the size of its biggest listed rival and if you look if you're talking about international expansion if you look at the kind of spread uh, of operations um, and internationally that Paddy Power Betfair has and just just its size you can see why some of its smaller competitors are considering these tie-ups even when they don't make huge strategic sense but like um, we've have written in our bear ball column before scale is an increasing well for a long time has been something that gambling companies have really pursued for that reason. Mm, absolutely. And Ian, uh, you wrote uh, in your Taking Stock column this week a, a, a good roundup of uh, the interim results season. And in fact, you, you probably jumped the gun too on this one uh, since we've got another week left. But uh, I mean, Ian, give us a little feel for some of the, uh, the kind of key trends we've seen uh, over the last few weeks. Yeah, so actually one of them was um, kind of bookies, the new look sector. And I know it's something that Bradley's going to be writing again about in the near future. Um, other ones are kind of more familiar topics. Obviously, we can't get away from Brexit. The timing of the first six months uh, of the year obviously meant that the referendum came right at the end of the period. So we were looking through the outlook statements and the post-period trading statements of the companies to get a sense of how they might have been impacted. Um, and obviously, a huge amount has been made of that. In terms of what we can say reasonably for sure, I suppose, is that the uncertainty has impacted on the recruitment companies in terms of their UK operations, yeah. particularly in finance. Well, actually, I mentioned this in my editorial a while back when I did my very premature roundup of, uh, of results season. <clears throat> I looked at those results from the recruiters and, yeah, OK, they've got some UK business and it's been hit, but they're also much more international than they used to be in the past. Exactly. And we and saw I, that with Hayes today. And I suppose that, yeah, that was really what I was going to go on to say, which is, that within the context of these companies, a lot of them are more internationally focused, especially Asia focused now. So although it's interesting from a kind of um, what it means for the economy and how much recruitment is a bellwether of the economy, it's interesting to talk about how they are doing in terms of whether the referendum vote is starting to have an effect or uncertainty preceding the referendum vote has had an effect in terms of how it's impacting the company's profitability. It's just demonstrating the ones that are more resilient and are more widely spread. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of uh, some of the economic figures we're seeing over the last couple couple of weeks. I mean, you know, some of the numbers we're seeing kind of have, are de- continuing to defy the, uh, the the worst expectations of what the the referendum might bring. So we've had some good manufacturing data today. The jobs numbers look all right. Uh, you know, investment figures are looking pretty strong, stronger than they have for a while. So, and some people have made the point that obviously a weaker sterling. And boost exporters, so it might be expected to boost some of the manufacturing uh, companies. Now, I, I just wonder whether the recruiters in particular have been oversold, partly because the, the, the UK economic picture is perhaps not as bad as it, it, it was 
speculated it might might be, but also because they are much more international than they used to be, but that's not being recognised. No, I, I think that you know, that could well be the case. And also you've got to um, factor in the downturn that we've seen for a long time in the in the oil service industry and in the en- energy sector in general. So obviously recruitment companies that are exposed to that are seeing the double effect of, you know, some um, kind of wobbliness in their, uh, in their finance um, recruitment, uh, permanent recruitment, and also in the energy sector but then at the same time you have to look at the contract side of the business which in those times of uncertainty tends to do better so yeah it is a mixed picture a- another area where you could say there was where you can see for sure that there was a big set of sell-off following uh, the referendum vote but which has uh, since rebounded is the house builders and that's another one that we've talked about before but uh, you know i couldn't leave out of this roundup um especially it, yeah so the new build sector we're still seeing strong demand or the companies operating there still seeing stronger demand from first-time buyers uh, some of the companies in the supply line polypipe we've mentioned before i think uh, plastic pipes plastic pipes Ooh, and ventilation copper for me <laughs> <laughs> which incidentally is the topic of our sex focus yeah and also the copper well some of the miners is something that i've drawn out as well and and what alex talks about in the sex focus is how miners have done really well to reduce the unit costs um so while they can't control the pricing of their metals that what they can do is reduce the, yeah reduce the costs of actually getting out of the ground and so although copper um has been the worst performing metal so far this year copper miners because of their operational strengths have you know not done as badly as some people thought and also the fact that gold is a byproduct of um, some of their mining has also helped with the with the rising gold price mm. so yeah there's lots of people doing things operationally to try and to kind of help themselves through a difficult time in terms of the price of their end asset and the classic is obviously the oil um, extractors um, BP and Shell who are continuing to try and kind of cut costs uh, only invest where they can get a good return on their capital um, and try and at all costs protect their dividend yeah absolutely no, I was looking through we had Marshalls this week uh, moving away from oil very briefly back into building materials I mean they, they do uh, you know uh, driveway products essentially uh, paving bricks look at that share price I mean absolutely pummeled by, by the referendum and bouncing back remarkably strongly um crh building materials supply i mean that never got pummeled by the recession much more international in focus but, but still absolutely flying um you know i, I do i do think that uh, one savings bank i mean those results are pretty good uh, not in building materials obviously but um but there are lots of worries about that after the recession bouncing back nicely not doing too badly at all yeah i'd say there's a few different factors at play when it comes to one one savings bank you have the fact that the interest rate cut um which you could argue probably wouldn't have happened without the without the referendum vote has kind of extended that credit cycle for those companies um, and yeah the initial worries about the residential housing market um, hasn't come through yet while some people have reported um, a lower of activity in terms of the sale of homes uh, you know not you know second time homes or current homeowners that new build market remains really strong so yeah I, th- I think there's a couple of different factors there but like you say in the building materials we aren't seeing some big impact of a, a kind of a downturn in activity so perhaps it, it's better to look at the way the companies are performing over a few months and their outlook rather than the month to month figures in terms of confidence but at the same time it probably just shows how hard it is to read an overall um sentiment yeah i'll tell you an interesting result actually when, as i was reading it, it was the last one i read because it appeared right at the end of the uh, results section was can homes now this is interesting we're on the subject of house builders i mean it's an irish uh residential house developer it hasn't been on the market terribly long if i'm right 
been thinking. And obviously, you know, the Irish economy is doing extremely well. So, you know, this this company was its share price was doing really well. But but there's some worries about Ireland now, which um was a kind of depressing sentiment around this one. Yeah, but at the same time, there are quite a lot of reasons to be cheerful. It's interesting, there's a couple of Irish uh, stocks in the results section that mirror what's going on at their UK counterpart, Independent News and Media, which publishes the Irish... um, the Irish Independent um, is reflecting the same things that's going on in the in the publishers industry at home. But Cairn Homes is another good example where politicians have big house building goals and a big house building program to meet those those goals. So they're in a position where the market for raising funds is good, and then also politicians are very much behind them building more. So especially in Ireland, these house builders are in a better state than they were running into the financial crisis. Which, which is exactly the same case as it was for the UK house builders over the last few years as well. Much stronger than they, they were in 2007 um, Yeah, no, no doubt on the balance sheet, sort of minimal debt, certainly not what they had before, and, and quite capable of coping w- with whatever the market has to throw at them. But uh, so, so those people, that, the private investors that we know, went straight into some of these stocks after the big sell-off following the referendum will have done quite well. So it's, it's understandable now why there was such an appetite from retail investors uh, for these kind of stocks, especially the house builders, care homes not included, that, that are paying back quite substantial capital to shareholders. Mm. Oh, yeah, I notice here they talk about an Irish help to buy. Well, there's been a bit, a bit of a drama about that this week, hasn't there? Because it wasn't actually a help to buy at all. One of our former colleagues, Katie Morley, noticed that you couldn't actually use the bonus that you get from the government in your uh, in your deposit. So it's caught a lot of people short when they're uh, they're actually coming to try and buy a house. uh, Help to not quite buy. Help to not quite buy. Okay, so all this talk of politicians. um, I mean, the market. It's it's fair to say that investing is probably more more politicised than it's ever been. Um, And obviously, the big political event here in the UK has been the referendum. um, But there are some big political events to come later this year, uh, both in Europe and in North America, two pretty significant elections. Uh, and both of those are notable for the populist candidates who are who are running a pretty close race there. Yeah, well, um, obviously, everybody knows about Donald Trump in the United States, um, dropping back in the polls a bit uh, the last few weeks. But uh, uh, he's been up to his tricks uh, visiting Mexico. Um, uh, will appeal to his base, uh, reiterating his anti-immigration message, which uh, is obviously a very strong element of populism, which will probably be reflected in France next year when Marine Le Pen uh, is uh, is going for the presidency there. So. And, and it was certainly reflected uh, in the referendum debates. Without a doubt, I think uh, it was. It's it's basically it's been ever since sort of Enoch Powell and the Rivers of Blood in 1968, a speech he incidentally made on Hitler's birthday. Um, in 1968 on 20th of April. Surely not by choice. It must no, not by accident. choice. It was an accident, but you know... These, an unfortunate uh, the, one. Yeah, a very unfortunate one. It's a very unfortunate speech. It was um, an unfortunate been, speech. It's been, um, well, it was, it was a, some very nasty sentiments that he, he, he mentioned, but it also made immigration a toxic issue um, and, and something that couldn't be touched uh, for, for generations. And, and finally... But it is being touched yeah, now. Yes. Farage was not mm. shy about bringing Im- immigration up as a topic. Subsequently, if you happen to have felt the UK would have been better off outside of the European Union, you are now a racist. So, you know, just as perhaps if you have any sympathy for Donald Trump's uh, message, you are considered a racist. But it's not 
about that really immigration and racism or having some concerns about immigration and racism are not what this populism is about is it no i think i think populism there's there's the other the other key point is is it's about the rise of inequality and it's actually it's about um the sense of of things not being quite fair i mean if we go back to to bradley's point looking at apple and how much tax they're paying that's an example of globalization working for big corporations not for ordinary people who uh, um, a lot of the anger stems from from people feeling that, that they've been the ones to shoulder the burden for, for financial bailouts and crises and uh, with um, as far as they're concerned um, their standard of living has gone down I mean we've seen that the benefits of globalisation have gone to either emerging markets or the top 1% um, in, in in the developed markets in, in the US and uh, and in developed Europe and, and that's been reflected with um, the rise of, of populist movements um, in, in strength not since the 30s indeed i mean and you can you know look at uk politics uh post-referendum i mean it's it's kind of feels it feels a little bit more stable than it did a couple of months back but you know theresa may i mean she's not known as a populist uh politician but some of the policies she's looking at are certainly addressing the sentiments that have driven the rise of populism here and and elsewhere well the sentiments um exactly with the george osborne was very much um sort of the the um the poster boy of austerity um and he's been swept he was uh, sacked pretty much um what he was uh and uh, and she's actually coming up with some policies that actually wouldn't look out of place on a labor manifesto 10 Com- years compassionate ago passionate conservatism yeah. i think they're, they're dubbing um, it um so, so so this isn't just rhetoric then there is something behind this this feeling uh, that, that, that something's not quite right well, and that people are losing out the, well, the ordinary man is losing out well people um in the powers that be they are sitting up and uh, and they have to sit up and take notice and and the reason is is because it, it um the fear is is you know one one of the drivers of populism has been a lack of economic growth um and the ways to encourage growth are through trade um, and unfortunately, uh, populism can often have the opposite effect. Now, the sort of policies that we, we may see from populism um, will include protectionism and could include tariffs. Now, in some senses, a bit more government oversight um, may be seen as a positive thing if, if it gets people like Apple and Starbucks to pay more tax. But on the on the other side uh, of the coin, if it stops uh, trade being done, um, if it creates barriers to growth um, and investment, then, then that's not a good thing. And that's certainly not a good thing for, for investors in equities. No, absolutely not. So there is a risk then to your portfolio from, from this rise in populism. If it, if it starts to affect company profits, you as an investor might suffer. If trade is choked off, if growth is choked off, if we go into recession, um, GDP, despite the impact of QE in recent years, is still you know the main uh, driver of, of equity returns. If that, that goes, then uh, you know it's going to affect uh, the dividends you receive. It's going to affect the investment back into companies that you own and, and the growth, um, capital growth that they return. So you've... Um, it, there's there's a very real risk to investors of populism. Um, MSCI, the index company, have have looked at stress test scenarios, which which basically uh, prompted the the feature that they wrote this week, um, and looking at some worst case scenarios. One of which is actually um, looking at, at stagflation, um, because uh, there's a worry that um, in a populist scenario with populist policies, that you could see an increase in state spending, but with that's not being supported by growth in the economy that could lead to inflation um, at the same time as recessions hence we return to a situation like we had in the 1970s so so really um, looking at stress test results um, you are basically looking at how to how to, to flex a portfolio to to be stress ready for for such an outcome okay and that, that's ultimately what this feature yeah. is about we're not we're not getting political here it's not what we it, do as you say quite rightly in the feature we try not to um it's it's difficult not to um but, yeah, but in, in, in covering a, a subject like this but no, the, the, the key points are is 
is uh, is to look at you know where where could investors look for returns where could where could investors look to, to protect themselves from the twin risks of recession and and low growth so what you've done is you've essentially put together a portfolio Yes, that's right. So very simple. Bear in mind that the MSCI, um, they're, they're some of the worst case scenarios, they're, they're talking about you know, a 3% inflation coupled with a 3% contraction. So the stagflation e- example, that's pretty severe. So, so these the allocations that we've looked at here, they're there if, if that does happen, um, but, but um, also to be fairly optimistic if it doesn't. Yeah. And so what you've done is you, you put together some allocations and suggested some, uh, some ETFs. Yeah, to, to actually play that with. So looking at um, uh, for an equity allocation, looking at a broad developed global allocation, looking at quality and minimum volatility factors. So it's so basically uh, stocks that, that would, would have um, a high return on equity, um, a good level of dividend cover, high cash generative, and then also matching that with some allocation towards gold, which um, obviously had a bull run in the 1970s when there was last a, a stagflationary yeah, scenario. Been burying it in my back garden. Yep, gold's been doing very well. Um, actually, um, for, for, for the really interesting amongst uh, our readers and then refer back to Mark Robinson's uh, article a week ago where I sort of said silver may have a bit more to run than gold even if you if you, if you want to get totally into precious metals but but also so looking at for, for fixed income allocation looking at things that are inflation linked um, so linkers as well so, so investments you'd probably hold anyway but but a slightly more conservative broad allocation um, just in case uh, a severe populist scenario were to come to pass okay well it's good to be prepared not talking about, as I say, burying gold in your back garden, going out and buying a few guns and uh, stocking up on desiccated food. Um, it's good to be prepared as an investor. So, uh, thank you, James. Good feature. Really good feature. Enjoy reading it. Thank you very much. So, uh, yeah, I think we've uh, run out of time. Always running out of time. Yeah, lots more in the magazine, lots more in the results section that we haven't had a chance to cover. In this podcast, as I say, we've got a sex focus about copper, which had a bad year as, a, as an asset. But some interesting plays around that. Uh, Stock screen, best of British, talking of populism. Uh, Stock screen we run every year looking at companies with, with uh, UK exposure. It didn't have a good year last year, actually, unsurprisingly. But but over the long term has, has proved remarkably good. Uh, lots in the personal finance and funds section that they will no doubt be talking about on their podcast tomorrow. Plus the usual tips and comment uh, from the likes of Simon and the trader. Oh, and Ian, uh, who's now gone, did a nice feature this week on uh, what he calls underlying itis, which is the increasing tendency of, uh, of companies to uh, report profits that we can't make head nor tail of with all their exceptional items uh, and what you should do to try and uh, decode them. Uh, so anyway, thank you, Brady. Thank you, James. And thank you, Ian. And we'll be back again next week. Pick up the magazine in all good news agents. Foolproof your portfolio. It's quite a striking cover. And uh, yeah, if you fancy picking up the IC over the long term, go to our website and subscribe. Thank you very much. See you next week. 